Okay, Pastor Matt will be continuing the study in the book of Mark, beginning in chapter 13. That's where we will take up. We'll be reading Mark chapter 13 in your Bible, verses 1 through 19. I'll give you a moment to get there. And this is not actually part of Scripture, but the introduction is the destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. And I'm reading from the NIV. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, these things happen. And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you who are speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who read in Judea, excuse me, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter his house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning of time, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled. This is God's word. All right. Welcome, church. Welcome, online community. Um, sounds like it's going to be a long winter ahead. Um, and so I was, you know, before I begin to preach, I just want us to remember 
Maybe I'll start with a question. Who is the main audience when we gather to worship? Do you remember? Who is the main audience when we gather to worship? The Lord God. And so we want the Lord God to get our attention this morning and receive our attention. Uh, When the church gathers, it should be worship from start to finish. We worship in song, we worship in prayer, we worship in meditation, we worship in the preaching of the Word of God and in the receiving of the Word of God. We worship the Lord God in the taking of the Lord's Supper. We worship God in the sending out of God's people. We want God to receive the glory. And obviously things like masks and health concerns and constant change and the fatigue that that brings in, it could very much direct our attention away from the main reason we gather together. This is for God. And um, some have chosen to stay home out of health concerns, and there's wisdom there. Some of you are, are here, and you're wearing masks, uh, kicking and screaming. In some ways, it's a small sacrifice to be here to praise God. And I thank you for that. For those of you, this is harder than others. Um, but let's just, as we, as we gather, one of, the, one of the definitions of preaching that I heard once is expository exaltation. Right? The, the idea, my job is to exalt Christ and for us to revel in him together. And so let's revel in his love together. Let's re- remember his goodness together. Let's remember Jesus' saving death together. Let's remember Jesus' triumphant and certain return together. Amen? Father, I need your help. I need your help to teach this faithfully. I also need the Holy Spirit to show up so that hearts are changed, that you are honored. And so I pray that those uh, watching online now, watching later, those present now, Lord, that you would capture our hearts. We're tired. Would you show up? In mighty ways. In Christ's name. Amen. Uh, imagine for a second that you are at the end of a long day at, wa- in, at the Capitol, Washington, D.C. You've uh, wandered the mall. You've looked up and marveled at the Washington Monument. You've gone to the Lincoln Memorial. You've seen both of the speeches of Lincoln. You've even maybe touched the steps of the Capitol, and now you want to make that two-mile trek to have one final look at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. You want to just take one last gander at the house. And you're looking through the gates, and you're uh, just observing the house, and just, just your luck, you actually get to see the presidential motorcade pull in. That's kind of exciting. And then... You just kind of say it aloud because it, it maybe it just strikes you after having spent a day in Washington, D.C. You say, wow, what a building. What history, huh? You just kind of throw in that huh out there for the other bystanders. Then this stranger turns towards you, gives this chilling kind of 10 seconds and says, not a stone will remain of this building. It will all fall. A couple of reactions. This guy's a wacko. Or, I think I'm going to take a few steps away and call 911. 
A lot of you remember where you were when the Twin Towers were bombed, the first time you heard it or the first time you saw those pictures. Some of you remember uh, the day JFK was shot. Can you imagine the emotional toll people would feel if the White House was brought to the ground? I think it was that alien movie Independence Day where they actually use um, uh, CGI to show that the, the White House is being brought to, to ruins. It's pretty shocking. Can you imagine if you know, the mall was just, you know, a bomb was dropped in the mall and you, you know, the Washington Monument fall and the, the columns of the Lincoln Memorial crash in the building. Can you imagine what that would do to a country and to its citizens? If you're even beginning to feel just a few ounces of that feeling, you're getting an idea of what it felt to be a first century Jew to see God's city crushed, to see God's temple brought to ruin, to see God's people under severe judgments. It was the end of the world as they knew it. And it's tempting to think about that event that occurs 2,000 years ago and think, well, that doesn't relate to us today. Uh, but as, you, as we're going to walk through this text, I hope, I hope you see otherwise. I also think this, this text, text will speak volumes to just any trial a follower of Jesus' experience. The text speaks truth for our lives now. It also is going to speak some truth to lives that we'll face in the future. Now, as we begin Mark chapter 13, uh, I'm going to take Mark chapter 13 in two parts, uh, two different sermons. Uh, one scholar calls Mark chapter 13 an exegetical minefield. And what he means by that is there are various ideas and interpretations of this text within uh, Christians. Uh, it's hard. It's full of all sorts of metaphors. And it, 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 there, it ends up people having different opinions. And where there's different opinions, there can be disagreements. And where there's disagreements, there can be controversy. And where there's controversy, there's sides. And where there's sides, there's fighting. Now, some will walk through Mark 13, and they actually believe that everything in Mark 13 occurred in the first century. And there's nothing prophetic in the future. There's some people who read Mark 13, and they see everything this whole book is about what's going to occur in the future. And I want you to know that I think that there's some valid reasons to hold both those views, and that I would, they could be in my church, and we could high-five each other and pray to the same God and be good buddies. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to maintain that Mark 13 contains prophecies that relate to both what actually happened in 70 AD, as well as some prophetic words about what is going to occur at the end of time. Much of what Jesus Foretold When he gave this around 30 A.D., when he said these words that are preserved in Mark 13, around 30 A.D., they are bold claims. If you read in the Old Testament, it said, if someone spoke a prophetic word and it were not to come true, they should be put to death. But... If it were to come true, then this person is a prophet, one sent of God. 
So I think we're going to see Jesus prophesy things that have occurred, but because that prophetic word was fulfilled, the other things that he is prophesying are surely to be fulfilled as well. He's telling first century hearers, look up, there's some things on your horizon, some in your, the near horizon and some beyond, and be ready. Now, regardless of how someone might uh, date or try to uh, explain when these events did occur, the main purpose, the thrust of Jesus' words are pretty clear. He wants his people to be on their guard, to have open eyes, waiting eyes, a watching perspective, and holding fast to the Messiah all along the way. So my main message that goes throughout this whole text is going to be this. Jesus saying, hold fast to my word when your world is undone. Hold fast to my word when your world is undone. What do you cling to, or what do you tell other people to cling to when their lives seem at risk? I mean, one thing that's pretty common today, you know, when your mom or dad sends out a teenager to an event, you know, they'll say, you know, make sure you take your phone, right? You need to have your phone. If something bad happens, you call me. I'm going to come get you. And that's, so sometimes we hold on to our phones because they're going to they're gonna help us in our time of need. Time of need. You know, when something, uh, you know, goes, uh, gets scary, what do we do? We, we, we hold our children close. This is a hard time. Children come. Sometimes when we feel the world is undone, we get a weapon. This will make us feel safe. This will protect us. I want you to watch and observe. Jesus says, when your world is undone, hold on to me in my words. Hold on to me. So I want to develop this main principle. We're going to look at a variety of things, but the first thing I want you to see, he's saying, hold fast to my word when your world is undone. And one of the first ways that you're going to have to hold fast is this. You need to be prepared for incoming devastation. Be prepared for incoming devastation. It says, verse 1, Jesus and his disciples, they're leaving the temple. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, Herod's temple of the first century is one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was a glorious edifice. When he erected this, uh, the site for the temple, it was, it was probably even as glorious, if not more glorious, than Solomon's temple. Uh, the, 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 the area of the temple was expanded under Herod. The, 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 the temple was 12 football fields in size. I mean, it's huge. Some of the stones used were larger than 40 feet across. The stones were so breathtakingly white that when people were approaching Jerusalem and they could see the city on the hill, they thought it looked like clouds. I mean, this was a glorious edifice. And the disciples had been there, they're there with Jesus around a major festival, and at the end of one of the long days of Jesus' instruction, they're leaving. One of the disciples just says, Jesus, isn't this building grand? Isn't this marvelous? Hasn't Herod done a nice job? 
And Jesus says those chilling words, verse two, do you see all of these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So far from sharing in the disciples' amazement, Jesus says the city, the buildings, destruction is coming. And then all of this does is it increases confusion among the disciples so that later it says that they've left and now he, Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So he's a, a little ways away and they're able to look back and see this temple and so Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they come to him privately, and they're like, tell us, when, when's this going to happen? What's the sign that this is going to be fulfilled? And Jesus begins to explain, answer their question. He often, it says throughout the Gospels, when he took the disciples away, he would explain to them in private what he meant. And he says, don't be misled. Beware of deceiving voices. Catastrophic things are about to take place. Notice some of the things he describes. Uh, He says, uh, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be false deceivers. Verse 5, watch out. There's people going to show up. They're going to deceive you. They're going to come in my name. They're going to claim, I'm he, I'm the Messiah. So that's going to happen. Verse 7, he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. But he says, don't be alarmed. Such things are going to happen. This must happen. This will occur. And he says, but the end is not, still not to come. He warns, he says, nation are going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. And then he says this, these are just the beginning of the birth pains. So interestingly enough, all of these things do transpire over the next 40 years. Under Emperor Claudius, there was a massive famine. Two major earthquakes strike, one in Phrygia, the other being the legendary earthquake in Pompeii, 63 AD. There were rumors of wars when Caligula had exerted some power and influence in Jerusalem around 40 AD. There was the rumor of a war, it didn't happen. And then there were actual civil wars after Nero died in 68 AD. But Jesus says these are just the beginning of birth pains. These are early contractions, like Braxton Hicks. This isn't the real thing. This This isn't the full end. This is just the beginning. He says there's going to be real pain and sorrow to follow. And Jesus wants his disciples prepared to face it. And he said, don't expect the Messiah to come at this point. People might come, say, this is going to happen. In fact, there was a gentleman by the name of Thutis in the middle of the first century who showed up and said he was a Messiah. Don't believe him. Don't believe people who say, look over here, we have a Savior coming to save us from these trials. Jesus is saying, nothing is going to stop this train. What I have said about this building and its stones will happen. But hold fast to my word. Even when your world is undone, be prepared for incoming devastation. 
Now, this is obviously going to relate to this immediate audience. But can't you see how this truth applies to us right now? This this pandemic has our world becoming undone. Economic, familial, and political breakdowns surround us. I just ask, as we go through this, can we trust the Word of God? We need God's unchanging Word in changing times. We need supernatural truth. We need divine guidance. We need to hold fast to His Word. Jesus says to His disciples, be prepared for incoming devastation. He's going to say next, that you need to be steadfast amid early persecution. Be steadfast. I want to read verses 9 through 13. Look at what he describes. In the middle of these early birth pains, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. Uh, Notice some of this language. This is one of the reasons why I think this is stuff speaking about the time period between 30 AD and 70 AD. He's saying this is going to happen in a Jewish context. In the Jewish world where there are synagogues and Jewish leaders, you, my disciples, are going to face this persecution, which they do. If you read through the early chapters of the book of Acts, Jews experience persecution in Jerusalem. Later, Paul is going to be tried before different kings and rulers. This is going to happen. But he says in verse 10, but the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. The gospel is going to go out. In fact, that's the promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, apostles, you will be filled with my spirit, and you are going to preach to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And if you read the book of Acts, that's the thesis, and you see it happen The gospel starts in Jerusalem, it moves to Judea, it moves to Samaria, and then it starts moving to the ends of the earth, to all the people groups. But he says, look at this promise. Verse 11, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing promise. To be, we're supposed to be steadfast amid persecution. When you get dragged before people, God will give you words to say. I mean, this is immediately fulfilled. You could read, the, read again this week. Pull out Acts chapter 7 and watch Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian church. He doesn't have a Bible in his hand, but he has a Bible in his heart. It says he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just testifies to Jesus right before he's stoned to death. Then it says in verse 12, what's going to happen? Brother's going to betray brother to death, father is child. Children rebel against their parents and have them put to death. By the way, that's exactly what Saul of Tarsus was doing before he converts to Christianity. He's trying to find people to rat out people who are professing to be Christians. And when he finds them, he has plans to arrest them and hopefully see them die. But interesting, Jesus makes this interesting promise, though. He says, everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There is this promise, I believe, written to these first original disciples saying, hold on, 
believe me, you are going to make it through these early birth pains. Some of you know in Christian history, that is what happens. Some of you know that the famous little city of Pella, of which Pella, Iowa gets named, the Christians in the midst of this horrific persecution are able to escape. As long as they didn't put their hope in Jerusalem, if they didn't put their hope in the temple, if they didn't stay in the city, they were preserved. But those who put their hope in a city and rather than the Son of Man experienced judgment in 70 AD. Wow. Did you catch that, though? Two promises, right? They, they relate immediately to the first century, but they relate to the 21st century. Two promises. He says, in the middle of persecution, you can know that the Holy Spirit is with you, will guide what you say. You will have a supernatural presence. You will have a supernatural power who will give you the ability to supernaturally proclaim in the midst of your greatest persecution. That is good news. Some of you know that persecution is on the rise globally. Uh, I, I'm not a prophet, nor a son of a prophet, but I do work for a nonprofit. And as an employee of this nonprofit, I do think persecution is going to get worse, not better. And so, brother Christian, sister Christian, walk closely with the Holy Spirit, and he will give you words to say when that persecution comes. And even if your life is gone, ultimately you will be saved. You will be preserved. If not in this life, certainly in the next. Hold fast to my word, Jesus says, when your world is undone. Be prepared for incoming devastation. Be steadfast amidst early persecution. Interesting, Jesus says in this one, be certain that these events are not the end. Let me continue in verse 14. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. Verse 17, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not pl- take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. He says, look at this. It says, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one could survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. Uh, Let me just show you some of the the indications uh, that this isn't referring to the end of time. What Jesus is preparing his early disciples for is not the end of time. One, for starters, at the end of time, at the true end of time, you won't be able to flee destruction. He actually instructs them, I want you to flee. When this destruction comes, I don't want you to stick around. Mountains will not be a safe refuge for anyone when Jesus comes at the end. Those first century Christians, they escaped the destruction of Jerusalem, they they traveled, they found Pella, 
Second, the description that Jesus is describing, it refers to first century homes where people might spend time on rooftops. He says, don't go there. Get out. Most people believe, third, that Mark uses this little expression, let the reader understand. Because about the time when Mark is coming out, the impending destruction is right at hand. Catch this first century reader. This isn't some far off time. This is now, and it is coming. Fourth, Jesus warns that the great events about to occur will make pregnant women and new moms suffer great challenges. Pray it doesn't happen in winter. Pray you don't have to run pregnant woman when this event occurs. Again, this is all referring to something happening in history that's going to be horrific. That he's saying you don't need to stick around for. If you put your, this is what he's saying to first century Christians. If you've put your trust in me, if you know that salvation is through the name of Jesus Christ, if you put your hope in me, if you put your hope in being a part of the body of Christ, then don't hang your hat in Jerusalem any longer. Because that city is under judgment. If you were with us a few earlier weeks, he's already told many parables and made many pronouncements that there's going to be a judgment on the city of Jerusalem. And this is, again, he's saying, here it is. I think sometimes we miss this. Sometimes when we talk about Jesus' first coming, we talk about Jesus' amazing incarnational birth, the Son of God coming in human form. We remember his perfect life. We remember his substitutionary death. We remember his triumphant resurrection. We remember his ascension. But part of his first coming was judgment on the people of Israel. The climax is in 70 AD. It says this is as bad as it's going to ever be. Did you know that 1.1 million Jews starved? Starved when Jerusalem was attacked by Rome. Their world was undone. Their city of refuge was gone. 2,000 years later, what do they do? They go and they wail at that wall because of what happened to their people. 2,000 years later, they're saying, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Our city is gone. But they've missed their Savior. They've missed Jesus, though he was right there. And there was a 20th century scholar by the name of William Barclay, and he summarizes Jesus' prophecy with these words. The prophecy that Jesus made of terrible days ahead of Jerusalem came most abundantly true. Those who crowded into the city for safety died by the hundred thousand, and only those who took his advice and fled to the hills were saved. Jesus warns, hold fast to my word when your world is undone. Be prepared for incoming devastation. Be steadfast amid early persecution. Be certain that these events are not the end. But he holds out this little it sounds bad, this little carrot. He holds up this amazing hope that when the end does occur, you will be safe. Be confident that you will be safe when the end occurs. For a second, he takes his, you know, remember he's looking at, having him look into the horizon, the future, and he's having him look primarily at the, the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And then he says, lift your gaze because there's something after this. He says, in those days, following that distress. He's been talking about that horrific distress on Jerusalem. He says, but after that, guess what? The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, 
people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. By the way, those, that, that, that expression of the sun darkened, the stars, the moon, the light, like this is apocalyptic language. It's revelatory language of even after this great distress, you do not worry. The holy, majestic God is coming for his people. Even if they are scattered to the ends of the earth, which, by the way, for a Jew, that was a horrific judgment. They wanted to be in the holy city, in the holy land, but they are scattered. He says, but even if you're scattered, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will gather his people. They will be safe in the end. You can trust him. You can put your hope in him. There's a dawn that will end this dark night. Jesus will come for his people. And then it looks like he flips back in verse 28 and says, all right, let's, let's go back to the subject matter at hand. Verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree, he says. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus declares, be watchful, for these events are near. And then he says, and what I'm saying is as solid as heaven and earth. Did you catch that? As certain as heaven and earth. This is how certain my word is. Again, Jesus has pronounced judgment on Jerusalem. He's, he's warned them that this is going to happen. And it all comes to a head in A.D. 70 when General Titus arrives in Jerusalem to destroy the temple and the city. And interesting enough, Jesus says, I want my people to escape the judgment that is preserved for those who have rejected me, for Israel, for the Jews. And that this is going to be one of the confirming signs of Jesus' identity. Because if you read the Old Testament and you read one of the prophecies, is that when the Messiah's, excuse me, when Israel Messiah shows, his people will not receive him. This is what Paul uses in Romans 15 when he's trying to explain the gospel. He says, there will be a time when people are rejected, and so the gospel will go to the Gentiles, to the nations. In Romans 9 through 11, it says, even though Israel is a chosen people and there are still promises yet for these people, there will be a season of hardening until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, until the time when those, uh, like most of us, who don't have a drop of Jewish blood in us. Hear the saving message of Jesus Christ and trust in him. For Israel's Messiah is not just for Israel. It's for the world. 2,000 years, this gospel has gone out to the nations. There is hope for those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end... Uh, it is tempting that 2,000 years later we'll think that Jesus' message only had a first century significance. Come back when we look at Mark 13, chapter 2. We'll look at some other 
uh, part two. We'll look at some of the stuff that's more about the coming end of the world. But it would still be unwise to miss the significance of what Jesus prophesied in 30 AD and what comes true in 70 AD. And so I want to give four implications in light of Jesus' Jesus's prophetic preparation and warning to first century, Israel, or first century Christians. Number one, this is important. Time, time is linear, purposeful, and planned. Time. It's linear, purposeful, and planned. There are many religions in the world that say that the time is insignificant, that time is, is cyclical. You just, you just keep repeating things over and over and over again. That there's no rhyme or reason. Everything is chance. But Jesus says, all the times, all the events, and all the happenings occur according to God's sovereign decree and purposes. Wars, earthquakes, persecution, pandemics. These are all safely in God's hand. No, there is no such thing as pointless suffering. There is no such thing as unplanned occurrences. The uh, passage in Acts that Dave Bell mentioned in his prayer, Acts chapter 4, it says, even the death of the Son of God was perfectly planned out by God's sovereign will. Nothing happened outside of God's will. In fact, everything according to his will. But the Son gave his life willingly, according to the Father's plan, to bring those who were far enemies from him, not reconciled to God, to bring them back into his family. Talks about in Galatians chapter 4, let me just remind you of this, talking about Jesus' birth and his ministry. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. You hear the sorts of language it's using and saying, we formerly were under God's law, under God's judgment, considered guilty, condemned, worthy of death and hell. Jesus doesn't just come to deal with the, the charge against us. He, he comes to take that charge on himself, to die in our place, and then it says, and then to adopt, make sure that we're adopted into God's family. It says that angels long to look into these things, the restoring of fallen humanity into God's family. Time is purposeful. It's planned. It's linear. Second, Christians will endure much suffering. Christians will endure much suffering. One of the earlier Bible verses I think we should memorize is 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And John 3.16. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It began with the first century. It has followed in every decade of Christian history. If you haven't suffered in your faith, you probably will, if you're faithful. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
If you don't want to live a godly life, you can avoid persecution. Some of you may be familiar with John, the we- John Wesley. He would be concerned if he, a week went by and he didn't experience persecution for his faith because he wondered if he had been faithful to his Lord. But note that all suffering Christians face is measured by God. He determines how much we will suffer and it will go no further. Yes, some Christians will die. Others will suffer physically and mentally, but he always preserves a remnant through every ordeal. He did it in the first century. Those of you who know church history, he did it in 20th century China. He preserved a remnant. And, now the, and the gospel has been flourishing through that remnant. And all along the way, Christians have the Holy Spirit to help us hold fast even when our world is undone. Three, Jesus' predictions come true. Jesus' predictions come true. And so we should not ignore anything Jesus says. As predicted, Jesus, Jerusalem fell. As predicted, Christians were preserved. As predicted, the gospel continues to, pre, to spread. Therefore, as predicted, Jesus will come again. Finally, four, God brings beloved people and places under judgment. God brings beloved people and places under judgment. God's chosen people, the Jews, and God's land, Israel, experience judgment for the rebellion against God. In the time of Abraham, God declared that the sins of the Amorites hadn't reached their full measure, and so they would continue to experience some peace in the land. But when that sin reached a certain level, God sent Israel in to bring judgment and to eventually give Israel the land. Let's just talk briefly about our own country. Um, Contrary to what some of you might believe, America is not God's chosen nation. Still not. Never was. I do appreciate Abraham Lincoln called us the almost chosen nation. That's maybe a gracious way of looking at it. I do think, regardless, uh, we should be sobered by the words of a non-Christian early founder named Thomas Jefferson. He wrote this. He said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. This morning I was reading a pastor's blog from Michigan and he was kind of wondering why we're no longer struck by God's holy nature. We're no longer struck by his authority to judge or have fear about his commandment or his commitment to justice. These are his words. He says, Our lack of understanding concerning the holy nature of God has brought about a smile, a smirk, and a yawn. We now have to make silly things important. So instead of finding an answer for our sins, we argue about secondary issues. Since peace with God is assumed, we find new things to fear. A planet on the verge of collapsing. People treated unfairly because they are triggered by a mean pronoun you used. Or a word they don't like. And we now fear a virus more than we do the snares and the traps of Satan. Dear friends, our only hope is Jesus. When we think about Jesus, we should have holy fear and also holy love. 
because all, all of history hinges on Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Those are the climax of history. He is our escape and our hope from God's judgment. He's our hope uh, when the final judgment will come. What is being played out now is called the age of the church, the age where Jesus' message of forgiveness and reconciliation is to be preached to all nations. It's a time where King Jesus, he offers clemency to all who will seek his grace. It's a time where any who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is not news to yawn at, but to marvel and to respond and to trust. There will be an end. Are you ready? Let's hold fast to Christ's word, even when our world is undone. Let me pray. Father, just to think about what you've done in history and what you've promised to do again, I pray that we would be humbled. I pray for those of us who have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be hopeful, that we would have our confidence out of this world that one day all the sickness and the sadness will end. But until that end comes, we pray that we would be faithful to take the gospel to the end to all nations and let it start with our neighbor. To those who haven't put their trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that they would see throughout history God has shown up. He's shown up to save and he has shown up to judge. And this is a time of mercy where we can respond and believe in the good news of Jesus. Uh, But there will be, in the near future, a time of judgment again. And we pray that they would be ready. We pray that as Christians we would be ready to make that news known. There's no greater hope and there is no greater gospel. To the praise of his glorious grace, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.